Book Eight, Part Two of Ovid's Metamorphoses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Huckabee. Metamorphoses by Publius Ovidius Naso, translated by Brooks Moore. Book Eight, Part Two. But Daedalus abhorred the Isle of Crete and his long exile on that sea-girt shore increased the love of his own native place. Though Minos blocks escape by sea and land, he said, the unconfined skies remain. Though Minos may be lord of all the world, his sceptre is not regnant of the air, and by that untried way is our escape. This said, he turned his mind to arts unknown and nature unrevealed. He fashioned quills and feathers in due order, deftly formed from small to large, as any rustic pipe from straws of unequal slants. He bound with thread the middle feathers, and the lower fixed with pliant wax, till so, in gentle curves arranged, he bent them to the shape of birds. While he was working, his son Icarus, with smiling countenance, and unaware of danger to himself, perchance would chase the feathers ruffled by the shifting breeze, or soften with his thumb the yellow wax, and by his playfulness retard the work his anxious father planned. But when at last the father finished it, he poised himself, and lightly floating on the winnowed air, waved his great feathered wings with bird-like ease. And likewise he had fashioned for his son such wings. Before they ventured in the air, he said, My son, I caution you to keep the middle way, for if your pinions dip too low, the waters may impede your flight, and if they soar too high, the sun may scorch them. Fly midway, gaze not at the boundless sky, for Ursa Major and Boötes next, nor on Orion with his flashing brand, but follow my safe guidance. As he spoke, he fitted on his son the plumed wings with trembling hands, while down his withered cheeks the tears were falling. Then he gave his son a last kiss, and upon his gliding wings assumed a careful lead solicitously, as when the bird leads forth her tender young from high-swung nest to try the yielding air. So he prevailed on willing Icarus, encouraged and instructed him in all the fatal art, and as he waved his wings looked backward on his son. Beneath their flight the fisherman while casting his long rod, or the tired shepherd leaning on his crook, or the rough ploughman, as he raised his eyes, astonished might observe them on the wing, and worship them as gods. Upon the left they passed Samos, Juno's sacred isle. Delos and Paros, too, were left behind. And on the right, Labynthus and Calymne, fruitful in honey. Proud of his success, the foolish Icarus forsook his guide, and bold in vanity began to soar rising upon his wings to touch the skies. But as he neared the scorching sun, its heat softened the fragrant wax that held his plumes, and the heat increasing melted the soft wax. He waved his naked arms instead of wings, with no more feathers to sustain his flight, and as he called upon his father's name, his voice was smothered in the dark blue sea, now called Icarian from the dead boy's name. The unlucky father, not a father, called... Where are you, Icarus? And, Where are you? In what place shall I seek you, Icarus? He called again, 
and then he saw the wings of his dear Icarus floating on the waves, and he began to rail and curse his art. He found the body on an island shore, now called Icaria, and at once prepared to bury the unfortunate remains. While he laboured, a pert partridge near observed him from the covert of an oak, and whistled his unnatural delight. Know you the cause? T'was then a single bird, the first one of its kind. T'was never seen before the sister of Daedalus had brought him Perdix, her dear son, to be his pupil. And as the years went by, the gifted youth began to rival his instructor's art. He took the jagged backbone of a fish, and with it as a model made a saw, with sharp teeth fashioned from a strip of iron. And he was first to make two arms of iron, smooth-hinged upon the centre, so that one would make a pivot, while the other, turned, described a circle. Wherefore Daedalus, enraged and envious, sought to slay the youth, and cast him headlong from Minerva's fane. Then spread the rumour of an accident. But Pallas, goddess of ingenious men, saving the pupil, changed him to a bird, and in the middle of the air he flew on feathered wings, and so his active mind and vigour of his genius were absorbed into his wings and feet. Although the name of Perdix was retained, the partridge hides in shaded places by the leafy trees, its nested eggs among the bushes' twigs, nor does it seek to rise in lofty flight, for it is mindful of its former fall. Wearied with travel, Daedalus arrived at Sicily, where Cocculus was king, and when the wandering Daedalus implored the monarch's kind protection from his foe, he gathered a great army for his guest, and gained renown from an applauding world. Now after Theseus had destroyed in Crete the dreadful monster, Athens then had ceased to pay her mournful tribute, and with wreaths her people decked the temples of the gods, and they invoked Minerva, Jupiter, and many other gods whom they adored, with sacrifice and precious offerings, and jars of frankincense. Quick-flying fame had spread reports of Theseus through the land, and all the peoples of Achaea from that day, when danger threatened, would entreat his aid. So it befell the land of Caledon. Through Meliaga and her native hero, implored the valiant Theseus to destroy a raging boar, the ravage of her realm. Diana, in her wrath, had sent the boar to wreak her vengeance, and they say the cause was this. The nation had had a fruitful year, for which the good king, Oneus, had decreed that all should offer the first fruits of corn to Ceres, and to Bacchus wine of grapes, and oil of olives to the golden-haired Minerva. Thus the gods were all adored, beginning with the lowest to the highest, except alone Diana and of all the gods her altars only were neglected. No frankincense unto her was given. Neglect enrages even deities. Am I to suffer this indignity, she cried, though I am thus dishonoured, I will not be unrevenged. And so the boar was sent to ravage the fair land of Caledon. And this avenging boar, was quite as large as bulls now feeding on the green Epirus, and larger than the bulls of Sicily. A dreadful boar, his burning bloodshot eyes seemed coals of living fire, and his rough neck 
was knotted with stiff muscles, and thick-set with bristles like sharp spikes. A seething froth dripped on his shoulders, and his tusks were like the spoils of Ind. Discordant roars reverberated from his hideous jaws, and lightning belched forth from his horrid throat, scorched the green fields. He trampled the green corn, and doomed the farmer to lament his crops. In vain the threshing floor has been prepared, in vain the barns await the promised yield. Long branches of the vine and heavy grapes are scattered in confusion, and the fruits and branches of the olive tree, whose leaves should never wither, are cast on the ground. His spleen was vented on the simple flocks, which neither dogs nor shepherd could protect, and the brave bulls could not defend their herds. The people fled in all directions from the fields for safety to the cities. Terror reigned. There seemed no remedy to save the land, till Meliega chose a band of youths, united for the glory of great deeds. What heroes shall a mortal song proclaim? Castor and Pollux, twins of Tyndarus, one famous for his skill in horsemanship, the other for his boxing. Jason, too, was there, the glorious builder of the world's first ship, and Theseus with his friend, Perithous, and Toxius, and Plexippus, fated sons of Thestius, and the son of Aphareus, Lynceus, with his fleet-foot brother, Idas, and Caeneus, first a woman, then a man, the brave Lucippus, and the Argonaut, Acastus, swift of dart, and warlike Dryas, Hippothous, and Phoenix, not then blind, the son of King Amintor, and the twain who sprung from Actor, Phileus, thither brought from Elis, Telamon was one of them, and even Peleus, father of the great Achilles, and the son of Pheris joined, and Aeolus, and the swift Eurytion, Echion, fleet of foot, Nerysian Lelex, and Panopius, and Hylius, and Hippasus, and Nestor, youthful then, and the four sons Hippocoon from old Amaclay sent, the father-in-law of Queen Penelope, and Chaos of Arcadia, and the wise soothsayer Mopsus, and the prophet, son of Oclus, victim of a traitor wife, and Atalanta, virgin of the groves of Mount Lysaeus, glory of her sex. A polished buckle fastened her attire, her lustrous hair was fashioned in a knot, her weapons rattled in an ivory case, swung from her white left shoulder, as she held a bow in her left hand. Her face appeared as maidenly for boy, or boyish for girl. When Meliagus saw her, he at once longed for her beauty, though some god forbade. The fires of love flamed in him, and he said, Happy the husband who shall win this girl. Neither the time nor his own modesty permitted him to say another word. But now the dreadful contest with the boar engaged this hero's energy and thought. A wood, umbrageous, not impaired with age, slopes from a plain, and shadows the wide fields. And there this band of valiant heroes went, eager to slay the dreaded enemy. Some spread the nets, and some let loose the dogs. Some traced the wide spore of the monster's hooves. There is a deep gorge where the rivulets that gather from the rain discharge themselves. And there the bending willow, the smooth sedge, the marsh rush, osier, and tall tangled reed, in wild profusion, cover up the marsh. Aroused from this retreat, 
the startled boar, as quick as lightning from the clashing clouds, crashed all the trees that cumbered his mad way. The young men raised a shout, levelled their spears, and brandished their keen weapons. But the boar rushed onward, through the yelping dogs, and scattered them with deadly sidelong stroke. Echion was the first to hurl his spear, but slanting in its course, it only glanced a nearby maple tree. And next the spear of long-remembered Jason cut the air. So swiftly hurled, it seemed it might transfix the boar's back, but with overforce it sped beyond the monster. Poising first his dart, the son of Ampyx, as he cast it, he implored Apollo, Grant my prayer, if I have truly worshipped you. Hearken to me, as always I adore you. Let my spear unerring strike its aim. Apollo heard, and guided the swift spear. But as it sped, Diana struck the iron head from the shaft, and the blunt wood fell harmless from his hide. Then was the monster's savage anger roused. As the bright lightnings flash, his red eyes flamed. His breath was hot as fire. As when a stone is aimed at walls or strong towers, which protect encompassed armies, launched by the taut rope it strikes with dreaded impact, so the boar, with fatal onset, rushed among this band of noble lads, and stretched upon the ground Eupalamon and Pelagon, whose guard was on the right, and their companions bore their bodies from the field. Another youth, the brave son of Hippocoon, received a deadly wound. While turning to escape, the sinew of his thigh was cut, and failed to bear his tottering steps. And Nestor might have perished then, so long before he fought the heroes of old Troy, but ever wise he vaulted on his long lance from the ground into the branches of a sheltering tree, where in a safe position he could look down on his baffled foe. The raging boar wetted his gleaming tushes on an oak. Then with his sharpened tusks he gored the thigh of mighty Hippasus, observed of all, and mounted on their horses, whiter than the northern snow, the twins, long afterward transformed to constellations, sallied forth, and brandishing their lances, poised in air, determined to destroy the bristling boar. It thwarted their design by hiding in a thicket intricate, where neither steed nor lance could penetrate. But Telamon pursued undaunted, and in haste, tripped up by tangled roots, fell headlong. Peleus stooped to rescue him. While he regained his feet, the virgin, Atalanta, took her bow, and fitting a sharp arrow to the notch, twanged the tight cord. The feathered shaft quivered beneath the monster's ear. The red blood stained his hard bristles. Flushed with her success, rejoiced the maid, but not more gladly than the hero Meleager. He it was who first observed the blood, and pointed out the stain to his companions, as he cried, Give honour to the courage of a maid! Unwilling to be worsted by a maid, the rushing heroes raised a mighty cry, and as they shouted in excitement, hurled their weapons in confusion, and so great the multitude, their actions interfered. Behold, Ancaeus, wielding his war-axe, and rushing madly to his fate, exclaimed, Witness it! See the weapons of a man excel a woman's! Ho! Make way for my achievement! Let Diana shield the brute! Despite her utmost effort, my right hand shall slaughter him. So mighty in his boast he puffed himself, and lifting with both hands his double-edged axe, he stood erect, 
on tiptoe fiercely bold. The savage boar caught him, and ripped his tushes through his groin, a spot where death is sure. And Caius fell, and his torn entrails, and his crimson blood, stained the fair verdure of the spot with death. Ixion's doughty son was running straight against the monster, shaking his long lance with nervous vigour in his strong right hand. But Theseus, standing at a distance, called, Beware, beware, O dearest of my friends! Be valiant at a distance, or the fate of rashly bold and chaos may be yours. Even as he spoke, he balanced in his hand his brazen-pointed lance of corner wood, with aim so true, it seemed the great boar's death was certain. But an evergreen oak branch shielded the beast. Then Jason hurled his dart, which turned by chance, transfixed a luckless dog, and pinned him yelping to the sanguine earth. So fared those heroes. Better fortune gave success to Meliager. First he threw a spear that missed and quivered in the ground, but next he hurled a spear with certain aim. It pierced the middle of the monster's back, and rushing in upon the dreaded beast, while raging it was whirling round and round. The fearless prince provoked to greater rage the wounded adversary. Bloody froth dripped down his champing jaws. His purple blood poured from a rankling wound. Without delay, the mighty Meliaga plunged a spear deep into the monster's shoulder. All his friends raised a glad shout and gathered round him, tried to grasp his hand. With wonder they beheld the monster's bulk stretched out upon the plain, and fearful still to touch him, they began to stain their weapons in his spouting blood. At length the hero Meliaga pressed his conquering foot upon the monster's head and said, O Atalanta, glorious maid of Nonacris, to you is yielded my spoil, my lawful right, and I rejoice to share the merit of this glorious victory. And while he spoke, he gave to her the pelt covered with horrid bristles, and the head frightful with gory tusks, and she rejoiced in Meliager and his royal gift. But all the others, envious, began to murmur, and the sons of Thestius levelled their pointed spears and shouted, Give up the prize! Let not the confidence of your great beauty be a snare to you! A woman should not, interfering, filch the manly honours of a mighty hunt. Aside, and let your witless lover yield. So threatened they, and took from her the prize, and forcibly despoiled him of his rights. The warlike prince, indignant and enraged, roused with resentment, shouted out, What? Ho! You spoilers of this honour that is ours! Brave deeds are different far from craven threats. And with his cruel sword, he pierced the breast of rash Plexippus, taken unawares. And while his brother Toxius, struck with fear, stood hesitating whether to avenge or run to safety, Meliager plunged the hot sword, smoking with a brother's blood, into his breast also. And so perished they. End of Book 8, Part 2 Recording by Paul Huckabee